Hello, welcome to the ECL News Podcast. I'm Claire. And I'm George. So, welcome back. The new year is upon us. It's cold outside and it's time to knuckle down and do some real work. It is, but never fear, as we're back with more audio news from around UCL. And this week, to give you some respite from those long days at work, we've decided to focus on the amazing arts and culture at UCL. First off, in anticipation of the upcoming release of the new film about Lincoln, starring Daniel Day-Lewis, we went to speak to Dr. Adam Smith from UCL History, who gave us a primer on the presidency of Abraham Lincoln and also reviewed his film. But before that, our colleague Ben has also recorded a brilliant interview with a 21-year-old student called Chibundu Onuzu, who was born in Lagos, Nigeria, and is currently doing an MSc in public policy at UCL. Now, last year, her debut novel, The Spider King's Daughter, was shortlisted for the Dylan Thomas Prize. And we've got Ben, who interviewed her before Christmas with us in the podcast, to tell us a little bit more. Hi, Ben. Hi. So... She's a pretty impressive student, (laughs) all in all. Um, Can you give us a brief overview of the plot of her novel? Sure. It's um, set in Lagos in Nigeria, and it tells the story of 17-year-old Abikair Johnson, who's the daughter of this extremely wealthy Nigerian businessman. And she lives in this sort of privileged, wealthy bubble in Lagos. But she comes into contact with this 18-year-old street hawker who is living in the slums, and you find out eventually for, for what reason he ended up in the slums due to family problems and things like that. But Abigail meets him on the side of the road and starts to buy things from him every day and is just intrigued by what his story is and how he's ended up where they are and a sort of tentative friendship and then maybe something more starts to develop. Okay, so from the sounds of it, the book is, is, mainly, bought, is mainly set in Nigeria I mean, does that kind of is that influence kind of run through the entire novel, or is that something that kind of reappears in her work? Um, well, she's she was born in in uh, Lagos in Nigeria, and then she went to boarding school in England, and she was telling me in um, the interview. Unfortunately, didn't quite quite make the final cut just with the time constraints, but she was going on about how. Um, when she came to England, she actually found herself reading more African literature, and it was only then that she was starting to really read the sort of the great tomes of African literature, like um, novels by Chinua Achebe and so on. And also, she missed home quite a lot, so uh, she was very keen to set the this novel in mm. Lagos and sort of convey the language and energy and the sort of frenetic chaos of that city. Yeah, and I understand she's also the youngest ever author to be given a multiple book deal by Faber. Yes, that's right. She got a, a two-book deal when she was only 19. Um, she was actually a King student when she got the deal studying mm. history. But she's now wisely crossed the floor to UCL. Yay. And she's actually doing, uh, like we said, an MSc in public policy. And was, she was telling me as well that ultimately she'd like to go into politics back in Nigeria as well so she's certainly not lacking ambition yeah okay sounds amazing yeah Yeah. so to hear Ben's interview um stay listening as it'll be coming up straight after the news thanks so right now if you've been listening to the podcast you'll know that we've been following a video competition called London for free with great interest which is where um, we were encouraging staff and students to submit videos about things to do in London that are free. So we're pleased to announce that the winner is Catherine Wenner, whose film Penelope and Cedric in London for Free, which was about a couple of hand puppet ostriches on a trip around London, 
kind of seeing the best sights was really entertaining and uh, kind of wowed the judges. Um, all the entries are available on the website www.ucl.ac.uk forward slash London hyphen four hyphen three. <sighs> Bit of a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> so do have a look. Yeah, there are some really great pieces on there. Yeah, there's a really nice mix. And Catherine's piece is really worth searching out because it's lovely and really funny and just gets across so many of the great things about our capital. So do check it out. And uh, if you aren't satisfied by novels, films or documentary, UCL is also just a place to come to for some visual art. Next week, a brilliantly named new exhibition called Plastered has opened at the UCL Art Museum. As the name suggests, it's all about plaster and the casting process, highlighting the sculpture models of the neoclassical artist John Flaxman. Shown alongside Flaxman's art will be some really quite unusual applications of plaster pulled from UCL's stored collections. Some of these include Victorian death masks used for the early study of eugenics and also casts of human pathological specimens. One of these includes the casts of a seven-year-old's leg with rickets from the Great Ormond Street Hospital collection. So they're all pretty macabre in their own different way, but it's really interesting to see how they highlight the efficiency of plaster in different ways and also its unique ability to capture fleeting moments in time. So go and have a look. Yeah, we're um, featuring it on the UCL website at the moment. Mm -hmm. And um, the museum is open every afternoon from 1pm and it's just off the North Cloisters, so go down and have a look. So that's all the news we got for this show, but stay tuned to hear Ben's interview with Chimbundu about balancing writing with her studies and also receiving constructive criticism from readers in Nigeria. Um, it's definitely worth checking out. Let me tell you a story about a game called Frustration. A dog used to follow me around when I was 10. One day, my father had his driver run this dog over in plain view of the house. I watched from my window, the black car purring on the grit, the driver's hands shaking as he prepared himself for a second hit, and my father sitting in the back seat, watching. The car reversed. Again, his tyres rolled over my dog, and then he sent for me. I was calm until I reached... My name is Chibundu Onizo. I grew up in Lagos, Nigeria. Um, stayed there for the first 14 years of my life before I moved over to England. I went to King's for my undergraduate. I went to the enemy school. Um, I studied history there. Um, and I'm not UCL, obviously, doing a master's in public policy. I was calm until I reached him, his head bowed in the black funeral suit that he wore throughout my childhood, his arms folded. I'm so sorry. I know how much that dog meant to you. I don't know how this idiot didn't see it. I knew he was lying. He knew I knew. And in that moment, I felt an anger fill me so strong, it would surely have killed one of us if I let it loose. Somehow, it was clear to me that this would be the wrong thing to do. I strolled over to the dog and prodded it with my foot. Blood had streaked its fur, and it was whining in pain. My father studied my face, searching for the smallest hairline of a crack. I just stood there, looking at the animal. Finally, I said, Daddy, please, can we run over my dog again? Both he and the driver were visibly shocked. My father nodded. The driver shook his head, his knuckle bones popping out of his dark skin. Do as she says. Aim for the head, I said, leaning against the car and taking a perverse pleasure in the driver shrinking away. I turned and walked towards the house in that stroll that children have on the first day of their summer holidays. I called over my shoulder, almost as an afterthought. Daddy, please make sure he hits the head this time. Abike 1, 
Mr. Johnson, zero. At what age did you know you wanted to be a writer? Obviously, like the first time I attempted my first piece of fiction was when I was 10. Um, that was my first ever attempt at writing anything that wasn't homework or wasn't an essay. But I wouldn't say I wanted to be a writer then. I just kind of thought, why not give this writing thing a go? But it wasn't even as lucid as that. It was just, I had some free time. I had an exercise book and I started writing. Maybe in my teenage years, perhaps 14, 15 after I'd moved here, that I started to perhaps think, oh, I want to be a writer. But not before that, definitely not before that. I think I've got this right. You're the youngest woman to ever get a deal with Faber? Yes, they've told me. And obviously you signed the deal in when you were 19, but you must have been writing this book for a long time before that. How did you balance that with being a school student and then latterly an undergraduate student? Well, I started writing The Spider King's Daughter when I was 17. Um, So I was in A-levels at the time. But um, luckily for me, I was in a boarding school. And so I had... um, First of all, I had my own room, which um, I'd never had a room to myself before I'd moved to England. I'd always shared with my cousins, my sister, et cetera, et cetera. And I was also a footballer, so I didn't go home on the weekends like most of the girls did. And so on the weekends, it was either like just hang around or write. And, you know, I did hang around, but then I also had ample time to write. And so I didn't have to juggle so much. I mean, I remember in my final year of A-levels there, my penultimate report wasn't very good there was a lot of Chibundu has gotten distracted and we don't know what's distracting her because I didn't tell my teachers what I was doing but yeah it it was all right in the end (laughs) (laughs) and so could you sort of describe a little bit what the novel's about okay well um so there's Abigail Johnson she's a rich man's daughter um her father is an incredibly wealthy man in Lagos and then there's the street hawker and so they meet on the side of the road and Abigail is struck by the fact that this hawker speaks well and she's also um also notices that he's handsome and these two factors combined make her intrigued by this boy that she meets on the side of the road and so she decides to um to stop every day and buy things from him and then they strike up a friendship and it's not um, clear from the beginning that it's going to end up in a romance perhaps it doesn't or perhaps you read the book and and think it never does how do you feel it's been received by uh, nigerian readers well it's interesting actually yes i've gotten um, a lot of feedback from nigerians in diaspora and i've got a lot of feedback from them and they enjoy it obviously it reminds them of home there's that nostalgia but then when nigerians living in nigeria and, and slowly i'm getting a readership in the country i just had a review this last weekend they're certainly more critical than, <laughs> than um, you know, so I've had a lot of, um, you know, you haven't gotten the patois right, you haven't gotten the pigeon right, you haven't gotten X, Y, Z right. And I'm, I mean, obviously, I don't live in Nigeria at the moment. I go often enough, but I'm willing to take the criticism just because you have to be willing to take criticism from anywhere. Um, you know, if I can take it from The Guardian, then I can definitely take it from Nigerian readers at home. Um, so I don't... Um, dismiss any criticism that comes and you know i listen to it and i say okay well book two we will try (laughs) we will try better we'll try harder but yeah i'm always happy to hear reader feedback inspiring stuff there the book is out now and available from all good bookshops so do check it out if we've piqued your interest and finally, to coincide with the release of a new film about Lincoln starring Daniel Day-Lewis, I went to speak to Dr. Adam Smith from UCL History to give us a bit of a primer on the presidency of the great man, the state of the nation in America, and also to find out what he thought of the film. 
The first thing to say about uh, Spielberg's Lincoln film is that it is a phenomenally good piece of cinema. It's a phenomenally good film. And I would urge people to go and see it. I'd then urge them to go and read a history book about the American Civil War as well. Um, I, I mean, I've spent uh, 10 years or more um, studying, researching, writing about politics during the American Civil War and about Lincoln in particular. And to an incredible extent, I was watching Daniel Day-Lewis and I was I was watching the Lincoln that I'd read about, the Lincoln that whose letters I'd uh, touched, I was watching him come to life. I think Daniel Day-Lewis's performance of Lincoln is extraordinary. The self-evident truth that things which are equal to the same thing are equal to each other. This is not a big sprawling biopic of Lincoln's life. The film actually concentrates on only about three or four weeks in January 1865 with a few flashbacks and a few flashes forward. And that's the period when Lincoln's White House and people around him were pushing Congress to pass the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution. That's the amendment that finally abolished slavery. And so on one level, the film is like a 19th century version of the West Wing. It's about the president trying to scare up votes for a measure. You need a two-thirds majority for a, uh, a congressional amendment to pass uh, the House of Representatives. And in the end, this was achieved. And as depicted in the film, it was achieved um, to the cheering and to the tears of abolitionists, um, black people, people who've been campaigning for the end of slavery in the United States for decades. What draws me to him as a historian, I'm writing a, a biography of Lincoln at the moment, what draws me to him is this sense that Lincoln achieved all that and rose to that position of such power and such prominence without ever, you feel, succumbing to the vice of uh, arrogance. He all—he wasn't a humble man. He knew he had the common touch, but he wasn't of the common people. Yet he always had a sense of humility in the face of what he would call providence. He always had a sense that his uh, leadership um, was in a wider context in which there were forces beyond his own control. And that makes him, I think, quite an appealing figure to spend time with and to spend studying. You know, it's amazing. There's supposedly been more books written about Abraham Lincoln in the English language than anyone else other than Jesus. And yet we still, there are things about him that we as historians still argue fiercely over because the evidence isn't there or the evidence is contradictory. Even in the spring of 1865, when the film is set, what you certainly don't see in the film is that Lincoln had a meeting in which he continued to push for the colonization of freed African-American slaves, in other words, their um, resettlement outside the bounds of the United States. Now, this needs to be explained carefully. Lincoln wasn't talking about forced deportation, and he, I don't think, can possibly have imagined that colonization would be a solution for all of the nearly five million African-American people in the United States at that time. But what it does show is that this moral, clear moral choice was coupled with much less clear-cut choices about what would happen post-emancipation. Lincoln's shown in the film as talking about perhaps giving the vote to some um, freedmen, and that is historically true. Lincoln did. But what's fascinating about Lincoln is that the same man who could talk about giving the vote to African-Americans could also talk about colonisation. What I'll try to do 
in my biography is to see Lincoln as I think he should be seen, as someone who was remarkably in tune with popular opinion, whose racial views were sometimes quite abhorrent by our standards in the 21st century, whose understanding of the problem of slavery was often remarkably limited and incomplete, but who learnt an extraordinary amount in an extraordinary short time. And that seems to me to be the right way of understanding him, a more human way of understanding him, actually, a way of projecting Lincoln not as an icon, not as the great emancipator, but as a very intelligent and reflective and articulate human being who was dealing with extraordinary dilemmas, extraordinary pressures in one of the most, um, the most uh, dramatic crisis in the Western world in the 19th century. And that's all we have for this show, but we'll be back in a fortnight with more news and features from around UCL. But if you want to get in touch in the meantime, please do. You can tweet us at UCL News or email us at mynews at ucl.ac.uk. Bye.